Well, brothers and sisters, good morning. Thank you. It's good to be here with you at this uh, early morning mass. I've always had a little bit of an antagonistic relationship with people who go to early morning masses because I am not an early morning person at all. But I'm grateful that you're here, and it gives me an excuse to get out of bed in the morning and have a cup of coffee. That said, uh, allow me to introduce myself a little bit here. I, I mentioned earlier my name's Father Cody Owens, and I'm very, very glad to be here in Muncie and to be here at St. Lawrence in particular. I, uh, where, where to begin? Where to begin? My life is, is a mess and a maze right now. I'm still unpacking some boxes and making sure that everything is, uh, you know, up to snuff. But I grew up in Fishers, Indiana and uh, eventually came to Ball State, so I spent a little bit of time in Muncie here. Uh, I was here for two years before I discerned into seminary and, and studied uh, to become a priest. I ended up going to seminary in Minnesota and then later on in Maryland, and now I've been a priest for three years. I'm in my fourth year. I spent two years down in Fishers at Holy Spirit Parish at Geist. Then I spent one year in Lafayette up at the cathedral, and just about the time I started to get to know everyone's name there, they gave me a call and they said, Father, we have good news for you. We're going to send you to Muncie. Now, I say good news because I was pretty excited about that. What I, I didn't share with you is besides the time that I spent here in Muncie when I was at Ball State, I also have a lot of family in Muncie. My mom's family is all from Muncie. She's a graduate of Cowan High School. She was a Cowan Blackhawk. And, bragged to me all the time about how every single year that she was there as a cheerleader, the basketball team did not win a single game. <laughs> Lots of good memories in Muncie beyond basketball. We uh, would come up frequently for little family reunions and get-togethers, uh, time to go to the Pizza King over on Tillotson just to be able to see Grandma or to be able to see Aunt Shelley or Aunt Cheryl. My mom's maiden name was Carter. A lot of people have asked me that, seeing if they know or have any connections. The Carters and the Sayers are, are my people here in Muncie. My mom's a pretty recent convert to Catholicism, so you probably never saw them in a pew if you were growing up here the same time as my mom, but you might have seen her around town. I uh, was actually born here in Muncie as well while my mom was finishing up her grad school at Ball State, so I spent the first two years of my life at the Scheidler Apartments uh, before we moved up to the Gary area where my dad's from, and then, as I said, was able to grow up in Fishers. So. It's more than just, you know, coming to Muncie. In, in a lot of ways, it feels like coming home to Muncie. And it is always good to come home. I told you I was called, and they said, we have good news for you. The bishop has decided to send you to Muncie. I got that call while I was at a spring training baseball game in Arizona, watching the Cubs beat up on the Mariners. And I just want you to know, I left the stadium. I was so excited. I took that call, and I was ecstatic. So. Thank you for hosting me here. I know that there's a great tradition and a, a great family and community here in this pastorate in Muncie between St. Lawrence and St. Mary's and St. Francis. So many good things that have been done by so many good priests and good people, faithful people who have come before. And we're, we're just frankly pumped to be able to, to come here and to continue to move things along with you, to journey with you. That said... They didn't send me here to talk about myself. I am particularly excited to talk to you about the gospel. That's one thing that I think you'll 
be able to hear from me and, and learn about me as we continue to get to know each other is I am convicted about this Word of God and not in a casual way and not in a way where you just say, well, of course, obvious career choice, be a priest. In, in a very personal way, I think that the gospel and the Word of God is not just something cute. It is not trivial. It is not a list of rules, and it is not a list of just simple little wise sayings or proverbs. It is the one thing that my heart and your heart have been longing for always in the silent moments when everything seems broken and we think, gosh, there has got to be more to life. We find out there is, and that's really good news. So can we dive into the scriptures here today? Do I have your permission? Great. I was going to do it even if you said no. Today, we hear three great readings, and all of them, I think, have one common theme, one common thread that goes through these readings is the virtue of humility. Humility as one common theme that goes through the readings. Now, we have a little bit of a misconception about humility sometimes, I think. We think about humility, and we think about the humble person, the humble man, the humble woman, and we think that there's someone who, you know, they, they receive a compliment and they say, oh, no, 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 I, it couldn't possibly. I'm just little old me. I couldn't possibly do it. I'm not that great. I couldn't accomplish it. And let me be clear. If someone honors you or compliments you for a very good thing that you've done and you say, no, I didn't do it falsely, that is not humility. That is called lying. <laughs> And it's not a virtue, not a virtue at all. No, humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself than you are. It doesn't mean putting yourself down or casting off your accomplishments, your gifts, or your skills. Humility, if I can put it simply in, in one little phrase, humility means seeing yourself just as God sees you. Let me say that again. Humility means seeing yourself as God sees you. Now, that's a work, my friends. That's a work. What does that mean? What does that require? I'll tell you. It requires, first of all, that you know God. If you're trying to see yourself as someone else sees you, then you better have their perspective a little bit, right? You better be able to know who they are. It means being able to acknowledge that God is great, <laughs> and I don't just mean in size, in quality, that he came before all, that he destined all to be with him forever, that he has a knowledge and a perfection that surpasses our own, that we can bow down to and say, thank you. God is great. The other thing it requires is that you can be honest with yourself, right? How does God see you? How does God see you? What do you think? Well, he sees you wholly and entirely. Not a single thing is left out. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you've done. <gasps> Surely, Father, you can't mean he knows. Yes, yes, even that he knows. He knows the things probably that you're not very proud of. Maybe the things that you whisper in a confessional and speak to no one else. God knows those things, and they're not a surprise to him. He knows them from the moment that they happen. But don't let it sit there. Don't let it rest there and not progress. Certainly God knows our sins, 
But I got to tell you something else, too. God knows. He knows your victories. He knows your virtues. He knows that you are infinitely lovable. Do you know that about yourself? You are infinitely lovable. I know that for a fact. Do you want to know how I know? I know that you are infinitely lovable because you are loved by God who is infinity. <laughs> you are loved by infinity. Let that blow your mind on a Sunday morning for a second, okay? You are loved by infinity. God knows every good thing about you, every sacrifice you've made, every way that you have loved another and extended yourself as well. And so when I say that humility means seeing yourself as God sees you, I mean that you have to know yourself whole and entire. For some people, that means being able, for some people it means being able to see the good things that maybe you overpass. For a lot of people, for myself, it certainly means being able to acknowledge the things that maybe we're not quite so proud to acknowledge as well. But in all of it, we can be humble men and women if we see ourselves as God sees us, knowing God, knowing ourselves. Check that box. Now let's go through these readings briefly. The first is from the prophet Ezekiel, and I got to tell you that I love this reading. It's one of my favorite readings that comes up during the Sunday rotation. Uh, during our three-year cycle in the church, I love when Ezekiel is read. And I do because I feel like it gives me an opportunity to see <laughs> the attitude of the prophet. I'm certain that God doesn't have an attitude. God is, is perfection itself, right? But you could sort of read that into the lines a little bit, and it makes the story a little more entertaining. Ezekiel prophecies thus. He says, thus says the Lord. You say, the Lord's way is not fair. Really? Let's begin just with that line, shall we? How many times does that happen to you? Certainly it's happened to me before. The Lord's way is not fair. Anytime as men and women striving for humility, that we begin with the premise that, well, God is unjust. Anytime we do that, <laughs> we should take just one second look at ourselves and reconsider that first proposition, because let me remind you and remind myself that God is not just just. That doesn't cut it. It doesn't explain the fullness of who God is. God is not just just. He is justice. <laughs> And so anytime that we look to justice and say, that's not fair, we might not be very humble. <laughs> that's how the prophet explains it today. You say, the Lord's way is not fair. Hmm, really? Is, is that the line you want to take? Is that the posture you want to adopt? Here now, house of Israel, is it my way that's unfair? <laughs> or is it not rather your way that is unfair? And then he explains how that is. He takes an ancient proverb and breaks it down, speaks about guilt. And that's fine. But as men and women striving for humility, the important thing to remember there, as in every situation, is that we have to see God for who he is before we can see ourselves as we really are. Sometimes that can be humbling indeed. We move on to the second reading. And St. Paul gives an if then statement in the Philippians, an if-then statement. If one thing occurs, then another thing. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, 
Is there encouragement in Christ? You better believe it. If there is any solace in love, is there solace in love? Big time. Love is consoling. It provides solace when everything else seems like chaos. If there's any participation in the Spirit, is there participation in the Spirit? You better hope so. Or why the heck did you wake up at the crack of dawn and sit in these cold, hard pews? There is participation in the Spirit. If there's any compassion, any mercy, if any of these things are, then, St. Paul says, asks, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing, thinking one thing. And what is the thing that we should all think together? How should we be united in mind? What attitude should we all adopt in unity? St. Paul says, have in you the same attitude that is also in Christ Jesus. Have in you the same attitude that is also in Christ Jesus. And then he elaborates on what that attitude is by means of a hymn. We used to sing this hymn in seminary. We'd pray it in evening prayer every once in a while. And we would sing it. It would go something like this. Uh, I'll, I'll speak the first part because otherwise it'll just take too long, and I'm not here to keep you in the pews longer than you need to. The same attitude that is also in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God as something to be grasped at, as something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and coming human in likeness, found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. And then we would chant and it would go like this. Because of this, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name that at the name of Jesus every knee must bend in the heavens on the earth and under the earth and every tongue proclaim to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we would get that last line and really hit it because it was in all caps. So we thought, this must be the most important thing. This is what it all amounts to. Jesus Christ is Lord. But then I had a theology professor, a priest, who said, yeah, we're kind of messing that one up. We're getting that backwards. And we went, oh, Father, how could you say such a thing? Do you not think that Jesus Christ is Lord? And he said, no, no, of course I do. I know Jesus Christ is Lord but we're getting the lines backward. We're missing the point of St. Paul in the Philippians. St. Paul speaks about how Jesus humbles himself obediently, obediently accepting death on a cross. He said, it ought not to be every tongue proclaim to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. It should be, and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because that is what Jesus came to do. He came to give glory to the Father, even by means of dying on a cross, which is something, which is something. And he did that by means of humility. That's a tough call. 
When St. Paul says, be united together, sharing the same attitude of Christ, and that attitude is giving glory to God the Father, being obedient, even when it hurts, even when it's not quite right. Because Christ was able to do it. But do you know who wasn't able to do it? Us, (laughs) many times. And also Adam and Eve. It begins, this hymn, with this idea that Though he was in the form of God, and he was, he didn't deem equality with God as something to be grasped at. Christ never grasped at something that was beyond him. But Adam and Eve certainly did. That was their original temptation. Though they had been made in the image and likeness of God, they were tempted when Satan said, if you reach out, if you grasp this thing, if you seize it for yourself, then you can be like God. And in grasping for something more than themselves, in not being humble, they fell and led us down that same path to falling. If we're like Adam and Eve, we reach out, we grasp, we have pride, we fall. If we can have that same attitude of Christ, we're humble, we move forward obedient to God. Lastly, and this is one line, and then I'm going to be done with this homily. Lastly, we have the gospel. And one very important thing in this gospel. Jesus speaks to all of the elders of the people. He speaks to the Pharisees and the priests about obedience. But then he gives them this revelation. The one who is obedient, the one who acknowledges their sin, because that's what John the Baptist came preaching, the one who is humble and sees themselves as God sees them. The tax collector, the prostitute who can say, you're right, and mea culpa, please forgive me, Lord. That person is going to heaven before you, priests and elders of the people, because they're humble in heart. That should be a little bit of motivation for us as well. If we can follow after Christ, if we can be obedient to God the Father, if we can look at ourselves honestly as Ezekiel asks us to do, and if we can be men and women of humility, then we are right on the tails of those prostitutes and tax collectors who are finding their way to heaven. And friends, it does not get better than that. So today, my exhortation to you is be men and women. Be Christians. Be citizens of humility. Amen.